The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Tonight I'd like to talk about wise and mindful speech. The practice of speech, of mindful speech, is um, one of the most challenging that we can engage in. It, it really kind of runs counter to a lot of the, in terms of the, the things that we have to pay attention to, it runs counter to a lot of the ways in which we learn how to be mindful when we're sitting in silent meditation. You know, in silent meditation, we're sitting there and our eyes are closed. We're not interacting. And uh, one of the main instructions that we um, engage with is letting go of our thoughts. So we let go of what we're thinking about. And as we um, move into paying attention to being aware of speech, we are in interaction. Our eyes are open. There's a lot of information coming in. And we also can't just let go of our thoughts because our thoughts are kind of what provide the impetus for what we're going to say. So we need to learn how to be mindful of the content of our thoughts and to be mindful of the content of what we're engaged in. So this is a little bit different than, um, than how we usually engage in mindfulness. So this is one piece that um, in moving mindfulness into daily life and into speech in particular, we need to let go of what it feels like to be mindful in sitting practice. It doesn't feel the same. We're being mindful of different things. So there's a different quality to the mindfulness. So speech has a huge impact on our lives. I think most of us have had the experience of saying something to somebody that we wish we hadn't said, that we wish we could take back. And so if we could learn to be mindful of our speech, it would open the door to much smoother interactions. It would open the door to of feeling less regretful often about how we engage. So bringing speech to our daily life mindfulness, our daily life, bringing mindfulness to our daily life speech is a powerful way to not only support our, the skill of our navigating our relationships, but it also is a very powerful way to sharpen our mindfulness. Tanisaro Bhikkhu, who is um, one of the monastics, he lives down in Southern California, and he comes here regularly. Many of you probably have met him and heard him speak. One of the things he says his teacher said about mindful speech and it's w- the way that it supports 
our mindfulness in general, he said, if you can't control your mouth, how can you possibly control your mind? And that there's a lot of truth to that because the mind, uh, what we're saying is preceded by mental events, our thoughts. And so there's a lag, a little bit of a lag between what we think and when we speak. And so if we can learn how to have mindfulness break into that lag and start being aware of what we're saying while we're saying it, we begin to have an inroad into paying attention to our minds. So it's a, it's a powerful practice and it's a very challenging practice. Most people that I work with and talk to about engaging in mindfulness say this is probably one of the hardest areas to bring mindfulness to. Most of the time when we're engaging in speech, we kind of speak automatically. We're speaking out of habits and patterns out of causes and conditions, just ways that we've tended to speak in the past. So we're speaking kind of on autopilot, automatically, without much thinking about how what we're going to say impacts the other person. Often we don't even quite know really what's going to come out of our mouth when we uh, start to speak. So it's a very helpful place to try to bring our mindful attention to. So it's a support for training the mind, essentially. You know, it, it, the, the, um, the ways that we speak, there's almost always some kind of, there is always some kind of an intention or motivation behind why we say things. And when we are on autopilot like that, when we are just speaking kind of habitually, often the motivation that we are acting out of is one of greed, aversion, or delusion. Some form of greed, aversion, or delusion. And so this practice of paying attention to our speech is asking us essentially to, act, to, to um, notice what that underlying motivation is. Is it unskillful or is it skillful? If it's skillful, a skillful speech would be motivated out of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, which we can think of as generosity. Non-greed is generosity. So we can speak out of generosity, non-aversion. We can speak out of kindness and compassion, non-delusion. We can speak out of clarity, out of wisdom. The Buddha provided some suggestions for helping us with this navigating, paying attention to our speech and noticing when we're tending towards unskillful speech by suggesting that there are four kinds of speech that we should avoid. 
And he calls these the four kinds of unwise speech. Or it's also framed as these are the four kinds of wise speech when we avoid these kinds of speech. So avoiding these four kinds of speech, avoiding false speech, avoiding harsh speech, avoiding divisive speech, and avoiding idle chatter. And I'll talk about each of these a little bit. So that, that is a way to begin to notice when we're headed into the terrain of unskillful speech. If we're about to engage in one of these four kinds of speech, we might be headed into the terrain of speech motivated out of greed, aversion, or delusion. So just a little bit more about these four kinds of speech. I just brief, I just mentioned them. I just named them, basically. And I want to define them a little bit for you. So false speech is speech that is intending to deceive. So it is, it is spoken with the intention to deceive. So that intention piece is, is important, that that is, um, you know, we may say something that's not true, but not know that it's not true. So that is not spoken with the intention to deceive. So that is not what is understood to be false speech. Now, clearly, if you find out, you know, a few weeks later that that what you said was false, you 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 want to change your the way you speak about that thing, but. You don't need to feel like, oh, I was engaging in wrong speech. You didn't know. So that is a crucial piece actually about all of these, that the intention is part of this. The intention to deceive for false speech. For divisive speech, it's speech that intends to create division. Sometimes uh, this is called slanderous speech. Um, and it's, in, it's, it's speech that's intended to create Divisions between people. Separations. Harsh speech is speech that is intending to cause another harm. To speak harshly to somebody, intending to cause them pain or suffering. And idle chatter is speech without any purposeful intent. So because the intention piece is actually quite relevant here, I want to talk a little bit about intention. Intention in Buddhist psychology is understood to be a, a kind of a, an energetic impulse to do that precedes any action of body, speech, or mind. So we um, have the intention to move before we actually move. We have the intention to speak before we actually speak. And we have the intention to engage in mental activity, actually, before that mental activity begins. So the, the intention in uh, the Buddhist understanding is actually a pretty subtle mind state. So every single... Um, 
action of body, speech, or mind has this intention. And then accompanying that intention, that just kind of impulse, which you can actually see. It's actually um, possible. Uh, For instance, if you practice, and I'm going to suggest later on a, a bunch of different ways to practice with mindful speech, one of the things that I suggest is to see if you can pause before you speak. See if you can just take a split second before you speak. If you can do that, you have caught the intention to speak because you know that you're going to speak before you speak. That's essentially catching that intention. So we can catch those intentions in our, in our experience with mindfulness. And the, uh, the Buddha actually pointed to that moment of intention which is, it's kind of a moment of choice. It's, it's a moment that we're choosing to engage in some activity. And he pointed to that as kind of the linchpin for freedom. Because accompanying that moment of intention is a motivation. It's a reason why we want to do that thing. It's a reason why we want to say this thing. It's a reason why we want to move. It's a reason why we want to move into a particular state of mind. That motivation that accompanies the intention kind of essentially puts a spin on the intention. The intention itself to speak or act or um, is just kind of a neutral state. It's a, it's a neutral quality of mind. It can be either wholesome or unwholesome. But in and of itself, it is neither wholesome nor unwholesome. But the motivation that comes along with that intention is either wholesome or unwholesome. It will either have the spin of greed, aversion, or delusion, or it will have the spin of generosity, of kindness, of compassion, of wisdom. And that uh, choice, making, taking action based on motivations that are um, unskillful will tend to lead us towards suffering. And making uh, choices, taking actions, following through on intentions that are motivated out of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, out of skillful motivation, those tend to lead us towards happiness. And so understanding this is a very important place of our understanding how we move towards happiness and away from suffering. When we can begin to see these intentions and the motivations that accompany them, we can begin to choose to act on skillful motivations and to avoid unskillful motivations. So this requires quite a bit of mindfulness. Um, you know, normally a lot of these intentions that are in play, a lot of the things that we, that we act on are below the level of our conscious awareness. So a lot of the intentions that we, um, that we act on are kind of being chosen for us by our habits and patterns. 
but they are choices that the mind is making. It's just below the level of what we are aware of, but our, our habits and patterns are kind of running the show, making our choices for us, deciding, oh yes, I'm going to say this thing, or I'm going to do this thing. So there are choices and motivations that happen that we are not consciously aware of. And so that's very important to know, that sometimes when we act, we may think that we are acting out of um, kindness, but there can also be a spin underneath of some other motivation that isn't so obvious to us. So the mindfulness practice, I, I like to... And I have seen this myself. I like to think of the mindfulness practice as kind of beginning to lower the horizon of our subconscious. You know, that we... Um, there's all these things going on in our subconscious that we're not aware of. But it's not that there's a hard wall between our what we can be aware of and what we uh, aren't aware of. With mindfulness, that horizon can really lower and we can become aware of things that you would never imagine you could become aware of. I actually don't think there's any line there. I mean, I don't, I don't actually think there is a, um, something that's inherently impossible to see with mindfulness once the mindfulness begins to become really continuous. So this practice is very powerful for helping us to be able to see these intentions which is what helps to move us towards freedom. So also along the lines of intention, engaging in these four kinds of wise, or avoiding, let's say, avoiding these four kinds of unwise speech, um, you know, the, the avoidance of those isn't meant to be something that we just say, okay, I'm going to avoid harsh speech, I'm going to avoid divisive speech, I'm going to avoid false speech, just kind of as a hard and fast rule. You know, that's the way we, we think of engaging in this kind of thing. Often if, if, it's a, if there's somebody that says, well, you shouldn't do that, you know, it becomes a rule for us. But the, the invitation is more to engage in beginning to notice when we're tending towards these kinds of speech and to have it serve as a wake-up bell. What is the underlying motivation here? Is there some kind of motivation that is below that level that I'm normally seeing? And can I, can I actually tap into that? And so there's that piece of it as we engage in these kinds of practices around these four kinds of wise speech. And then there's also on the other side that as we engage in each of these kinds of uh, practices, as we avoid false speech, for instance, if it's not just following it as a hard and fast rule, we're not just, you know, kind of saying, you know, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, then what we are also cultivating is the intention towards truthfulness. So each of these four kinds of speech to avoid is paired with the intention towards cultivating some very beautiful qualities of mind. So I'd like to speak about um, each of these four uh, a little bit and talk also about the 
the, the pair, the aspect that it's paired with, that the wholesome quality that it's paired with, as we avoid false speech, how are we uh, cultivating a beautiful quality of mind? So starting with false speech, as I said, this is in a speech intending to deceive. And this kind of speech can really, it can be motivated out of greed, aversion, or delusion. You know, it might be motivated out of greed with the deceit being some way for you to gain personal advantage. So the, the greed could be the underlying motivation for that deception. Or it may be uh, aversion or hatred could be the underlying motivation uh, for the deception that the, through the deception you are intending, it's a lie that is intending to hurt somehow or damage others. To speak falsely about someone. This is in the moving into slander. And then delusion. You know, we can um, engage in uh, false speech just kind of without really being aware of what we're doing or without thinking about it. You know, that we exaggerate to make a story more interesting or we tell a white lie because we think that might, um, you know, because we, we, we think that it is helpful for somebody to not know something. We tell, we tell lies sometimes kind of as a joke. We, we use them in humor. We may um, tell lies in order to be liked, in order to um, be found interesting. These in particular, point back to the delusion around self, to the delusion around there being somebody here that needs to be liked, that wants to be found interesting. The Buddha was pretty straight about this particular aspect. He instructed his son at the age of seven. And he said to his son, when one is not ashamed to tell a deliberate lie, there is no evil that one would not do. Therefore, Rahula, you should train thus. I will not utter a falsehood even as a joke. So the Buddha, the Buddha was pretty... You know, this is pretty clear. This is a, something that is very um, dangerous in a way to move in this, in this direction. And if we, if we start moving in that direction, the deception can kind of begin to snowball. There are kind of gray areas that we do have to meet um, and, and play with understanding. The, the area of the white lie, for instance, the area of, of lying in order not to hurt somebody's feelings. 
you know, simple scenario, you know, that you were invited over to a party at somebody's house and somebody else that, um, um, you know, somebody else that uh, knows these people wasn't invited and they say, oh, what did you do yesterday? You know, and you may, you may choose to lie or say, you know, to, to not hurt them. What I'd like to suggest is perhaps to explore, and this can be challenging in the moment, in the split second, to, you know, to come up with a way to respond that is truthful and yet is non-harming. You know, that, there, that we need to hold both of those pieces. That um, the, the non-harming piece is a beautiful intention. And is there a way to, to express that intention of caring and non-harming that doesn't involve a lie? That can be challenging. And we will, we will make mistakes. And with all of these, actually, we will find ourselves engaging in these kinds of speech. And again, as I said, this isn't a meant to be just hard and fast rules. What this is is an exploration of mindfulness. We can use these kinds of speech as mindfulness bells to help us wake up, to help us reflect back on how we have been engaging and to kind of uh, look at, reflect on how, how have we been meeting our, our relationships? Have we been skillful through the day? Not to beat ourselves up, but to learn from our, our mistakes. So on the positive side of this, I'm, I'd like to read to you um, what the Buddha says about the positive side of this. So in his description of what it means to abstain from false speech, he says, someone abs- avoids false speech and abstains from it. He speaks the truth, is devoted to truth, reliable, worthy of confidence, not a deceiver of people. So those are beautiful qualities that we are cultivating as we engage in refraining from false speech. These uh, practices really make us reliable. They make us worthy of trust. It's a gift, essentially, that we give, can give others. So we can look at them as, as expressions of beauty, as expressions of, of offering to the world towards harmony, towards truthfulness. And not so much as, oh, I'm not supposed to do this, but as an offering, an opening, an opening to connection in a wholehearted way as opposed to making divisions and dividing us up. So this is a a big part of looking at at wise speech, is the ways in which it really connects us to others in beautiful ways. So the second kind, uh, refraining from divisive speech, this is a speech intended to create division and cause ill will. And it is usually motivated out of aversion, some kind of resentment and intention to tear down, something like that. 
this is often, as I said, called slanderous speech. So this is where we may actually, it may be a kind of a blending between lie and, and causing harm, that you know, we actually tell a falsehood about something in order to harm them. Um, sometimes this is called, also called tail-bearing. And this might not be a lie, but just telling something about somebody that you know is true and yet is something that they don't particularly want others to know. You know, so that, that kind of thing which may create division between people. So it is really, it is this di- division. It's the way of, it, it creates division. The, the description um, of this he avoids slanderous speech and abstains from it. What he has heard here, he does not repeat there, so as to cause dissension there. And what he has heard there, he does not repeat here, so as to cause dissension here. So again, it is this, you know, refraining from tail-bearing. Now sometimes this is talked about as refraining from gossip. You know, not talking about people who aren't there. I've heard people say that this is, that it is unwise speech to speak about people who aren't present. And that is not what this is saying. It is saying it's unskillful to speak about people in order to create division. So it's very normal for people coming together to, you know, sharing a mutual friend, to want to, you know, say, how is so-and-so? Oh, they're doing well. They're very happy. Their daughter had this experience and just... That kind of sharing isn't intended intended to cause division. But sometimes people do explore. It it can be an interesting practice to explore um, when you are speaking about somebody who's not present. Is there a little bit of something that you're saying that you wouldn't say if the person was present? That's a good good, um, way to judge whether it's divisive or not. If you wouldn't say it if the person was present, probably not a good thing to say. So the, um, the aspect of the wholesome intention that's cultivated in refraining from divisive speech is a commitment to unity and a commitment to harmoniousness, essentially. What they say is, thus she unites those who are divided, and those who are united she encourages. Concord gladdens her. She delights and rejoices in concord, and it is concord that she spreads by her words. So abstaining from divisive speech brings this quality towards unification. The third, harsh speech, speech uttered in anger, out of aversion of hatred, intending to cause pain or suffering to somebody. Usually motivated, again, as with the divisive speech, out of aversion or hatred. Bhikkhu Bodhi breaks this category down. Bhikkhu Bodhi is a, is a great translator of the Pali uh, suttas. And he breaks this category down into three parts. And I like this because it helps us to clarify 
the different ways that we might engage in this kind of speech. He talks about abusive speech, speech which is um, basically speaking in anger with bitter words. This, this is kind of the obvious side of harsh speech. There's the insult, which is rude speech deliberately intending to offend. And then there's sarcasm, which is speech that the words themselves are not particularly hurtful, but the tone in which it is said makes it clear that the opposite meaning is intended. So on the side, as abstaining from this kind of harsh speech, we cultivate courtesy, we cultivate friendliness. Read this section too. I like what they say here. She avoids harsh language and abstains from it. She speaks such words as are gentle, soothing to the ear, loving, such words as go to the heart and are courteous, friendly, and agreeable to many. And I'll come back to this in a, in a minute. So speaking words that are courteous, friendly, agreeable, pleasing. The fourth, idle chatter. This, is, this I think, is one of the hardest for us. Um, we often find ourselves just engaging in chit-chat with people. So the definition here is pointless talk that communicates nothing of value. Monastics are enjoined to kind of keep the conversation to the Dharma. In lay lay life, we do have a reason to engage in small talk with people, just as a way to connect. And so this is an important piece for us to recognize, that sometimes what on the surface seems like idle chatter, you know, just the initial kind of, how are you, you know, isn't it a nice day, that kind of, you know, lovely weather we're having, is kind of um, a cultural way perhaps to just form a bond. And so it is beginning a conversation perhaps or a way to meet somebody that is joining, uh, it's, it's making a connection. And so it has an underlying purpose. So it's not purposeless talk. There's an intention or a meaning behind it. It may not be connected directly with the actual words, but there is a kind of a meaning behind it. And yet we do need to take care that such kind of purposeful idle talk doesn't move into purposeless idle talk. That... that um, moves into kind of excessive triviality or frivolousness. Part of the reason for that is that that kind of frivolousness or triviality in speech supports a restless mind. It, it isn't a, a supportive of a mind that is settled and clear to engage in, in, the kind of, in that kind of just idle uh, chit-chat. So knowing when it moves from that kind of making a connection 
to just kind of idleness, idle chit-chat. Bhikkhu Bodhi also suggests extending this to the kind of chit-chat that we experience, expose ourselves to by turning on the television or um, reading the, the, the internet, you know, the kind of just miscellaneous idleness that we expose ourselves to that way. So using discernment, essentially, um, this is, is about beginning to use discernment about what we let into our minds. So as we use that kind of discernment, we begin to cultivate clarity. And our minds get more settled. So aside from these four kinds of speech to avoid, the Buddha also had recommendations about assuming it, we, what we are about to say is passing these criteria. He had some other suggestions of, of ways to engage. He suggested that we think about, reflect on, is it beneficial to say? He doesn't actually say, even though the... the Guidelines on harsh speech say one speaks words that are pleasing to the ear, soothing, agreeable to all. There are definitely times that the Buddha says we sometimes have to say things that are not agreeable. But he asks us to reflect on whether it's beneficial. And I think also, can we come with an attitude of kindness, kind of to counter that, tendency towards harshness. You know, when we have to meet somebody and say something that's difficult, sometimes we create a division, a kind of a barrier, because we know it's going to cause them suffering. We know that, that this difficult thing, you know, if we are a boss and we have to fire somebody, you know, this is, this is not an easy thing to do. And sometimes we create a division in order to be able to do it. But what I'd like to suggest actually is that if you can create a connection of kindness, of compassion, the way it comes out may be a little bit more um, skillful. So is it beneficial? If it's difficult, can there be kindness? The other thing he... um, he suggests is to, to look whether it is timely. Is this a good time to speak about this? And I take this to mean reflecting on the context, the, the context of the situation that we are engaged in. Who's present? Is, it, is this an appropriate gathering in which to bring this topic up? Um, is this a good time with respect to what's present in your mind? Are you agitated or at ease? Can you be at ease? Is the other person agitated or at ease? Are they going to be able to hear what you're saying? So there's many things to reflect on here. Somebody was talking about this earlier and saying that it's sometimes hard to determine whether it's a good time to speak and that he's decided that actually being silent is often the best option. And I think that's really true. So this leads me into practices around speech. I just have a couple minutes to talk about this. The first one, 
Seeing if you can pause before speaking is huge. If you can do that, as I said, you've caught the intention to speak. And in that pause, you may well know what you're going to say and why you're going to say it. So if you can pause before you speak, you have a window perhaps into that motivation, into the intention and the motivation. And you can have a moment to reflect on the words that are being formed. This is challenging. It is not easy to pause before speaking. In work, particularly, it can be very difficult to do this because if you tend to pause, if you pause before speaking, you may never get to speak. People tend to just cut other people off. So, um, one suggestion from nonviolent communication is to, as a way of inserting a pause into the conversation, is to restate what the person has just said, so that um, if you can do that, also you've caught the intention for yourself to speak. As I understand it, what you just said is. Uh, that can help to slow the conversation down, and it also gives you a moment to reflect on what you're planning to say. So in the catching of that um, moment before speaking, you may also have the option to stay silent. And silence is actually... Um, a practice with respect to wise speech. One thing that Gill sometimes suggests is um, reflecting on whether what you're going to say improves upon the silence. You know, it, it, it's, it's a good thought. So often, actually, we find that it's not necessary to speak. We are speaking, perhaps, out of discomfort of the silence and learning to be comfortable in the silence is actually quite a powerful um, practice so that we don't just kind of blurt something out anything to, to, to cover over this silence in engaging with wise speech and mindful speech, kind of the, the high level, um, for me at least, the kind of first pass for me around being aware of speech is just to know that I'm speaking while I'm speaking. That's kind of the simplest um, approach. Once I found I could connect with knowing that I was speaking while I was speaking, then I noticed that I could check into a little bit of what was going on inside. What, what is, you know, is there tension or is there ease? It's kind of in a very simple way, checking into, am I getting tense in this conversation? And with that, then be, beginning to be able to track that tension or ease while speaking, then you can begin to touch into deeper kinds of um, movements of the heart and mind while you are speaking. You know, other, other emotions that are arising. 
that is where we really begin to be able to be mindful while speaking. When we can notice the content of what we are speaking about, notice in listening what somebody else is saying, and at the same time, know how we are responding. How does this speech impact us? How does what somebody is saying impact us? Staying in touch with the body is a great tool for this, if you can, if you can stay connected with the body. And the last piece I'll offer is that if you find it really hard to engage in mindful speech while um, in your normal day kind of interacting with people, which many people do, practice with somebody. Pick a friend and have a mindful lunch date. You know, agree. Pick a, pick a sangha friend that you can say, let's try this. Let's try to have a, a lunchtime where we speak mindfully. And then you can support each other and, and speak about it. Actually, one of the best ways to start being mindful of speaking is to talk about being mindful of speaking. Then the su- subject is really present for you. So I really encourage that. Practice mindful speaking. I mean, we practice mindfulness in sitting meditation so that we can engage with it in our daily lives. So practicing mindful speaking actually is really helpful. So I've run out of time. So I'm sorry I don't have time for questions. Thank you for your attention.